Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Geconia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. What's going on? I hope everybody out there is doing great tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to stray a little bit away from geckos, and uh, and we do that every now and again. We we love all different species of animals, and uh, we definitely like to highlight people that are working with different uh, different things like snakes, lizards, turtles, frogs, and but you know we do have a special fondness for geckos. But tonight we're going to do some ball breaking with. Brian Breaks of Breaking Balls. That's his operation. It's kind of funny. It's a good. It's a funny play on words. Uh, he's obviously a Breaking Bad fan, and his name just kind of fits with the whole scheme. So it's going to be a fun night. We're going to talk, uh, find out what's going on in the Ball Python game. There's always big doings in the Ball Python uh, community, and uh, you know, there's a lot of new morphs always being presented, new combos. Uh, Brian just does some amazing work, has some beautiful animals. In fact, I even have some here from his uh, from his lines. So it's going to be a fun night. And for tonight, I am going to bring on someone that's my co-host that knows a thing or two about ball pythons, and that is Mr. Steve Barker. Steve, how's it going? What's going on? How you been, man? Pretty good. Ready to talk about some... Some bull pythons tonight. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while since we did that, huh? Yeah, it has. Yeah. Too long. <laughs> How's everything going in your uh, bull python collection there? Uh good. I cut my first clutch of the season today. Oh, nice. What did you get? I ended up with a positive on two blonde pastel lessers. Ooh. One I'm pretty sure is also a blonde pastel lesser. Three normals and a blonde pastel. So really good odds. Yeah, that is. That is <laughs> darn yeah. good odds. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, they look they look awesome. Of course, the normals look awesome. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know we can appreciate all of them. Normals and the and the morphs. What other yeah. uh, eggs do you have cooking that you have uh, expecting to hatch? Uh, next next weekend will be the Pied Clutch. It's almost every weekend for the next month. I'll have a clutch to cut, and mm-hmm. um, I've got Pieds, Albinos, Bumblebees, 
should be more or lessers, basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And, of course, all the geckos, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're still laying them, and I'm still hatching them, so. Wow. How many milliis you, uh, have you produced so far this year? Uh, I'm up to five now. I hatched out another five. clutch of them. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so cool. And you I, got a little I, colony growing out, huh? Yeah, I can't wait. And actually, they get to a size, you know, they, you don't think they're growing because they, they kind of grow real slow at the beginning, but then all of a sudden, they get like this, you know, burst of growth where it's like, oh my God, you know, it's like unreal how fast they grow in just a little little amount of time. Leopard geckos, yeah. you know, they, they grow fast. I mean, it's just yeah. unreal how fast leopard geckos grow. But the milli eyes take a little, little more time. Interesting. But, well, make as many of those as you can, right? Yeah, I've got. I still have two more clutches in the incubator, and actually, one of them I pulled today. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great, great. All right. Well, I just want to welcome everybody that's in the chat room and uh, everybody that's listening in tonight. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, before we get started into the other segments of the show, I just want to uh, mention that uh, Gecko Nation Radio would not be possible without its amazing sponsors. And our sponsor plugs here are sincere folks. These are really are the best breeders and businesses in the community, and we are just proud to have them with us. So check this plug out, and uh, we'll hear from some of our sponsors now and then some at the mid-show break. Hang tight, folks. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Ron Tremper is the biggest contributor to leopard gecko morph making. Known worldwide for his amazing examples of living art. You can now download his leopard gecko care app, his morph encyclopedia app called Leopard Gecko Pro, and visit his site, leopardgecko.com to see where morphs are made. GiantLeopardGecko.com specializes in giant and supergiant leopard geckos with a focus on selectively bred exceptional lines of many different morph combinations, including high-end African fat tails and crested geckos. With over 17 years of experience in herpetoculture, Keith Kiggins brings you quality, integrity, and value. Check out GiantLeopardGecko.com on the web and on Facebook. Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit reptilesexpress.com and become a member today. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. 
abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. And, of course, folks, uh, with AB Dragons, you have a standard 5% off discount anytime you use the word gecko at checkout. That is just awesome of Reno to do that, and I see Reno in the chat room. Hey, Reno, what's up? Uh, so definitely take advantage, guys. Gecko, all in caps, at checkout. That's your code word for 5% off awesome roaches. Uh, also, guys, uh, there are some other discounts I want to mention to you. Uh, GiantLeopardGecko.com with Keith uh, Kiggins is giving 25% off to our listeners until the end of September. All right, the code for that is GNR2014. Uh, Keith's got amazing leopard geckos, a fall from Ron Tremper lines, really nice stuff, and large geckos too. All right, so definitely take advantage. And then last but not least, John Scarborough is giving a discount too at geckoboareptiles.com. And um, I just, I, I forgot what the name uh, of that code was. I think it's GNR2014 uh, also. I got to confirm with John. All right, but we'll get, we'll, we'll get that to you in the group. And, folks, join our group, Gecko Nation, if you want to be uh, kept up to date with all the newest uh, and latest news in the Gecko community. So, cool. All right, chat room's filling up fast. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm bring Steve back on. And, uh, Steve, what do you say we change directions and bring you into news anchor mode? All right. Good evening, Gekonians. <laughs> <laughs> News anchor Steve, what's up? <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> Not much. All right. Uh, we got some, I hope you you're, you uh, are going to tell us the story about, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy with the leucistic bow. I always forget his name. Jeremy Stone. You yeah, you got that story for tonight? Yes, I do. Um, um, let's hear it. So just a... Uh, kind of recap because we we had this story probably what a year ago somewhere around there mm-hmm. um, yep. where basically he was being charged with illegally importing the boa constrictor basically down to the Listen. minimum so yeah yep. so he put on his Facebook page, and I'll read read his article that he wrote out. It says, We have come to a resolution with the United States in the case of USA versus Jeremy Stone. We apologize for any harm and embarrassment this has caused my family, the reptile community, and my country. Our indictment has been dropped with our agreement. We will not discuss any facts of the case due to pending litigation in a foreign South American nation, and we will defend those allegations. We entered into agreement agreement with the USA, and we will abide by the terms of the USA has set forth. In short, USA promises Jeremy Stone not to seize any more animals from Jeremy Stone or go after any customers he has sold animals to as part of the Princess Diamond Project. Goes on. Um, we have, we appreciate the support of our family, friends, and customers during the difficult time. We are allowed to run our business as normal. We are satisfied with our legal team, 
We hold no ill will towards the USA in this matter. We agree to their terms, and they have agreed to ours. Exactly what those terms are, no one will probably know. <laughs> but, right, right. But it seems to have uh, worked out anyways. <laughs> All right. And, and it, it goes a, on. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm going to make a, a quick comment on this. And, you know, if Brian wants to talk about it a little bit too, he's welcome to when he comes on. But um, I just want to mention that, you know, this uh, leucistic boa and, and what they did, I mean, they basically, his wife, smuggled it into the country in one of those fake pregnancy-type bodysuit things. Right. And now, we all know that a leucistic boa like this that's found is, is, is like a gift from the laws of genetics, and these things would never likely survive in nature. And, yes, of course, the act of, you know, getting it out of the – smuggling it out of the country like that is not really advised, and we don't recommend that you do that, folks. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> in the – the end result of something like that would have been a lot of people being able to eventually enjoy this beautiful uh, creature and be able to breed it. And, of course, it would, you know, definitely benefit people financially and, and just, you know, benefit the, the reptile world. And, I mean, that's my take on it. That's just my opinion. Uh, I respect other people's opinions, of course. But, uh, you know, like I said, the thing would have never lived in the wild anyway. So I hope that some of those genetics from that snake, and I, I heard a rumor that it may not even be alive anymore, but I hope that wow. some of the genetics from that snake have been able to have been proliferated and there's some heads out there or something. And I hope that, you know, in the years to come, we definitely see, you know, uh, see see some of those leucistic boas out there for sale. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. How do you feel, Steve, about that? Um, yeah, I would definitely rather see, you know, us or people and be able to enjoy it that I didn't, I didn't realize that it may have been, it may have died. I didn't realize that. I don't know if that's true. It's just something I heard. So, yeah, you know, maybe we can look into that, but all right. What else you got for us tonight? All right. Sticking with snakes. We're going to go to Hollywood. (laughs) I know yeah. you, you. What do you think of the Hollywood ball python? You know, Dave? I, because I'm, I think it's cool. But because I'm a gecko guy, like maybe I just don't see all the finer details in ball pythons. Uh, they kind of, a lot of the, the, the morphs, like even like the orange dream. You know, in my mind, yeah. it's kind of like you got to be dreaming to believe it. But you yeah. know, it's, <laughs> you know, but but you know what? It looks cool, and it's definitely not a normal. I and you know what? It's got some definitely nice highlights to it, and I guess yeah. if you're, and we're going to talk to somebody tonight that ball python aficionado like yourself, Steve. And well, what do you think about it? Well, I, I I can't wait to see it put into something else because that's right. I think that's where you're really going to see a difference. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think that's where you're going to see it. Mm-hmm. No, but you it's definitely cool. I, I I would really like to see like a Mojave into it. it would be pretty cool. Yeah, and you know I'll never forget that one episode with uh, uh you know uh, McCurley from Nerd and how he was saying that head tied, uh, when it's mixed in like certain five gene animals actually appears as you know its own morph. And but when you look at a head pied normally, it just kind of looks like a normal. I mean, yeah, there's markers yeah. on some of them, but yeah. yeah. So, 
Right. So maybe this Hollywood thing into an albino would just like enhance it and you know, just make it even better and well, you know, years and that's the you know, that's the, in a way it's good and bad that ball pythons take three years or so to mature and get breeding because it kinda of keeps their value higher. Leopard geckos, you know, we're we're on a roll in a year, we're we're producing those marks and popping them out and uh, you know, we do see some price drops and stuff like that. Um but I, I yeah. think I mean you know, the turnaround time with ball pythons is longer. So I guess it'll take us longer to see its potential, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, that's no, cool, definitely. All right, what else you got for us? All right, our last story. Last week we found out that there were geckos in space. Sex <laughs> geckos in space. Okay. Yep. And Russian Russian, uh, you should have seen all the different article titles that they (laughs) came up with for that. But anyways, Russian scientists have reestablished communications with the pod that these geckos are in. And we didn't know what what type of I'm still laughing about the titles, but um We didn't know what type of geckos. I found out what type of geckos, and they're ornate day geckos is what they they have up there. Um, All right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. They have four females and one male, and they they were at the right stages of development to mate when they were sent. Um, And it, it goes on, there's no guarantee, but if the lizards do mate, the researchers can examine the animal's development and observe whether the resulting embryo or offspring is any different from those born on Earth. And when in the stages well, of de- go ahead, I'm sorry. What's and when in the stages of development these changes can be detected. Mm-hmm. My only concern is if they hit that Van Allen radiation belt, they could like mutate and take over the <laughs> yeah. spacecraft, come back to Earth and take over the planet somehow. That's the only thing I'm worried about. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I'm, so sure that's... I'm sure the military is prepared for that scenario, though, right? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> release, oh, the, release the giant dubias to distract them. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's great. All right, right, that that story is going to lead us into a moment in herp history. All right, let's go back in time. One second. Okay. (laughs) All right, there have been, this is the fourth mission that geckos have been in space. So... Really? Um, yeah, the first mission, called the Photon M2, launched in May 2005 and spent 16 days in orbit. Re- researchers lined the shoe size gecko up compartment with cardboard, but didn't include any food or water. That's kind of upsetting. As predicted, the animals survived, but they they did lose weight. So that was May May 2005, and I couldn't find anything on what type of geckos they used then. But um, 
other stuff I found was they they picked geckos because they can go longer without food. They can, you know, eat once a week and be okay. And that was one of the reasonings that they used for picking geckos because they could sustain life longer without food. Yes, and, I, you know, I made this point last week, and I think it's still valid, and I should make it again. Folks, if you're out there and you're wondering how, you know, breeders, you know, how we ship geckos to you and how they survive overnight shipping, and uh, if you're actually considering shipping your animals, these animals, I know they're small and they seem fragile, but they're actually really tough little little creatures, and they survive the shipping process very well. And a lot of people are worried about shipping babies and baby leopard geckos, and they say, oh, you got to ship them. you got to wait till they're at least 15 grams. I, I'll be honest with you. Um, you can ship baby geckos if they're eating and, you know, well-started, you know, at, at less than, you know, 10 grams. That, and they'll make it just fine. Now, I wouldn't go ahead and ship, you know, week-old or two-week-old geckos. But if they're already eating well and established, they will certainly make the shipping process uh, without a problem. And, uh, you know, it's just just a point just to show you. They can strap these things, you know, with a rocket on their butt, and, you know, put <laughs> them in know. space. And, yeah, and I think they can survive FedEx. So, you know, <laughs> just a point I'd like to make. But, all right, what else is there? Is there anything else, Steve? That's it? Nope, that was it. Okay, cool. We're going to bring you out of news anchor mode. All right, well, before we bring on our guest tonight, I want to, uh, of course, uh, mention that if you are a a new person coming into the world of herpetoculture and uh, geckos and reptiles, you're going to want to check out the following. Very important. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. Herpentime Radio is my inspiration for GNR. Justin and JD do a terrific show every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern and have an amazing archive of shows available for download. Visit them at blogtalkradio.com slash herpentime and on Facebook. All right, Steve, what do you say we uh, break some balls with Brian Brakes? All right. <laughs> hey, Brian, <laughs> you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, what's going on, Gecko Nation Radio? How's it going, man? Hey. Oh, man, it's a beautiful day here in uh, Tacoma, Washington. <laughs> Can't complain. Wow. <laughs> I, I love to play on words. You, you uh, picked the perfect name for your operation. <laughs> yeah, we had a bunch of meetings. I think you touched on a little bit already. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so uh, we we like to, you know, when we don't uh, aren't familiar with our guest ahead of time, we like to get a feel for, uh, you know, Brian, how you, you know, discovered herpetoculture and 
you know, what fascinates you specifically about what you're focusing on, which is the snakes and ball pythons. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with herpetoculture? Sure. Uh, well, uh, I uh, was blessed to have uh, great parents that didn't want to imprint some biases on me. So from a very young age, me and my brother could run to my mom with worms and bees and spiders and whatever, and she would just smile despite being frightened herself. And uh, that worked wonders for us. So uh, me and my brother are both super open-minded people. We've had all sorts of pets and animals that we've rescued or purchased and raised. And uh, that was kind of the great start of it. Uh, I think I had a Puget Sound garter snake when I was about four. My aunt was absolutely terrified of snakes, but she knew I loved them. She caught one in a vacant lot, brought it home, and that was my first snake who uh, I had for, I don't know, a handful of months. We didn't have success getting him to eat, so he went back to the vacant lot. Um, <laughs> let's see, since uh, then I've had all sorts of animals. Uh, we've rescued iguanas and, and various lizards from bad homes. We've uh, had tree frogs, local tree frogs. We've had white tree frogs. We've had, uh, had a boa constrictor for a, a real long time. Um, that was my first constrictor. And then uh, life happened a bit, and I took a real long break from, uh, from reptiles, not because I didn't want to, but because I knew life wasn't going to allow me to uh, do things properly. And then uh, I got back into things, let's see, about five, six years ago, and uh, things have been running ever since. Very cool. And you're focusing nice. primarily on ball pythons, right? That's correct. Uh, ball pythons are definitely kind of what I mainly do. I, I also do... Uh, some higher-end recessive Cal California king snakes. I do uh, some western hognose, um, some pure uh, super dwarf reticulated pythons. I don't do the crosses or morphs with those guys. And then uh, just recently I won the RRACA raffle, and I was able to get a trio of exceptionally high-end boas from uh, the boa file, Jeff Ronnie. So. Oh, nice. 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 Yeah, pretty cool, man. It was one of the <laughs> coolest experiences I think I've ever had. So. Yeah. What did you get from him? Um, I uh, spent the entire credit on a stack of three cages. I picked up a Key West Hypo male. I got a, uh, a Key Tech, which is a Key West Aztec uh, female. And then I picked up a normal mm -hmm. Key West female. So we're hoping supers get made. And that project will have a limitless end, if, uh, or an unlimited end, if, if that happens. So, pretty exciting. Nice. That's awesome. Go ahead, Steve. Jump in. Uh, I, w I was just thinking it's too bad that retics are illegal where I am. <laughs> but yeah, they're 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 amazing animals. They're some of my favorite. I like so. This. I, uh, yeah. I like the super dwarfs. Um, why, yeah. why don't you yeah. talk about super dwarfs a little bit? Uh, you know, having a huge retic is not always feasible for a lot of people. And I guess, I don't know how long super dwarfs have been around, but let's talk about them. Uh, Brian, what do you know about super dwarfs and their history? Sure. Uh, well, I can say that probably for the past 15-plus years, I've followed them, and uh, they've been a side passion of mine for a long time. Uh, again, life didn't allow me to have them, but I never, I never lost, lost the touch with keeping, keeping on them. 
they originally imported from an island that was closed, and uh, a lot of the first-generation animals were literally four-foot males, five-foot females. They, uh, they're pretty awesome. But the original island was closed, so there's a fairly limited amount of the pure stuff that you can find. Uh, they're pretty cool. Like my pair, they're off of a four-foot male and uh, two separate, two different uh, five-foot females that were all long-term captives. Um, they're just cool animals. I mean, they've got the intelligence of a retic, but without that size. So uh, it, it, for someone like me who, who is at my, uh, my other half isn't huge into reptiles like I am, I could never have, you know, a 15, 20-foot snake because I don't think it's smart to animals by yourself. So it's, uh, yeah. it's that experience without the size and the feed bill. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now, now are, the, are the dwarf retics, they're a totally different species than a reticulated python, right? Totally they're different. They're not recognized sp- that way, unfortunately. Right. So we're in trouble if all the Lasiak stuff goes through. However, they are. I mean, you can look at their head counts, See the scale that? counts on their heads. All different. Yeah. So yes, they should be. Yeah, that's that's horrible. That you know that that could happen. You know, over it's not even the, you know over a name basically. It's not even the same species, but they could potentially take it from us just based on that. That's a good point. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. Now, what about uh, the probably will be missing out. So. <laughs> yeah. Can they get morphs into those, Brian? Can they, uh, like, interbreed, you know, a larger retic with a super dwarf to get, you know, the purple albino and such into them? They are, actually. That's one of the, the big things going on right now. Um, I think it's really cool. I personally am not a huge fan because I'm kind of a purist when it comes to that. The only, as far as I'm aware of, the only real morph in the original super dwarf stuff was Annery. Everything else has been crossbred in through dwarfs and maylands which is cool, but uh, you lose a little bit of that that kind of purity in the original stuff in the SDs. So I think they're cool. I, I'm not a huge fan myself. But. And how does that, you know, uh, when you cross a bigger, bigger uh, retic to a super dwarf, does that, you know, how does the super dwarf act? Does it act like a, uh, a line bread trait in the sense where you get smaller animals, you don't necessarily get the full effect of the super dwarf, or, um, you know, like, does it show up like, you know, 50% of the offspring, what do you, what do you know about that? It, in general, it will reduce their size. Um, and like anything, there's exceptions to the rule. I, I've met 66% uh, super dwarfs that were 15 feet at, at a year and a half old. So I think <laughs> wow. it's going to miss. So, um, yes, you can, you can definitely change it. I don't know if it's as predictable as we'd like to think it is. So. Yeah. Hmm. That's wow. too bad. It's, yeah, unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, well, what is they, it about? They do increase the, the percentages, retics? so I mean, it gets better. So. Yeah. What is it about retics that makes them so intelligent? They all—they actually look you right in the eye a lot of the time, right? Oh, no disagreement. Uh, mine are two got very, very unique personalities. The two of mine, and they're both mm-hmm. very smart. I mean, they follow everything. Uh, I built a nice display, and they sit in my living room, and they watch us when we watch TV. They, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. They, uh, there's a lot of interaction with them, so uh, they're neat snakes. Uh, it's one of my big attractions to them is I think they are pretty smart. So. Mm-hmm. 
Fascinating. What about you, Steve? Do you think you'll ever get into retix? Uh, when I move, yeah, I might. Definitely the super dwarfs would be cool. You're not interested in the big ones? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I would, I don't know, I, I would definitely need to have someone more involved than I have with, you know, they, to help me, basically, <laughs> if I was to do right. that. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I, I, I love them. I think they're, I've been following Bob Clark's work since I was a kid. And, uh, you know, the berms and the, the retics. I mean, when he yeah. first came out with the purple albino, I was just blown away. I mean, I remember the ad in Reptiles Magazine. You haven't seen these colors since 1969. I'll never forget it. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember <laughs> I remember that ad. And, uh, wow, I mean, I'd love to own them, too. The Super Dwarf seems so appealing, though, because of its size. Um, yeah. Maybe we should try to... Yeah, why, do, why doesn't... Uh, you know, U.S. Ark and them try to make it a point to try to get that those species um, separated somehow. Maybe that can be done. I don't know. Smart idea. And yeah. one I've been arguing for a while. So it just takes someone to, to fund the research, to write the papers, and be peer-recognized to make that happen. So I think that's the problem. Right. Yeah. Wow. That, that would be really... I mean, it, I mean, and you know what? I'm not opposed to some regulation of big snakes. I mean, I don't think they should be banned or outlawed. Um, uh, I do think, though, that sometimes very irresponsible people are uh, able to easily, you know, acquire, you know, large snakes and and crocodilians, for that matter. I mean, so I do have mixed feelings about that. But I I think uh, a permit system that isn't, you know, too restrictive, I I think would be beneficial in a way for the animals and the people acquiring them. you know, Brian, with all this stuff that we have going on with legislation and everything, let's, let's hear your thoughts of, on what you feel is going on out there and what you think, sure. uh, you know, what's going to happen in the future. Um, I try to stay pretty active in things. Uh, I definitely send off letters. I call my representatives. I make my voice heard. Um, and I do my best to get my friends and family involved, too, which I think is sometimes something we don't tap into as much as we should. Um mm-hmm. The big thing, though, is our hobby and industry is so compartmentalized. We think that, uh, oh, it's not going to affect me. <laughs> and, and frankly, it is. Once once the door gets opened, they can kind of slide through whatever they'd like to. So uh, I'd like right. to see some more unity in the whole hobby and industry. And uh, that's that's kind of my biggest that's my biggest uh, belief about this whole matter is uh, it, we shouldn't point fingers and go, well, you have huge snakes. You know, it's it, it could be any of us, really. I mean, if they established an invasive colony of anything anywhere, then, you know, they've got whatever fake scientific evidence they need to, to kind of throw this all together. So uh, I, I agree with you. I think there should be some sort of uh, system involved. I know a lot of irresponsible keepers who probably shouldn't have certain things, but uh, I don't think that reflects on the entire industry. I know far more people that are responsible and do things the right way than, than aren't. So... Uh, Mm-hmm. Yes, we can improve it. I don't think we need to yank everything from everybody. That's just not the right way to do things. It, it doesn't work with other things in our country, you know, whether it's gun control or animals, dog breeds. I think they fail when they try to do that stuff. So, Yeah, doesn't stop them from trying, though. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 
yeah, we gotta we gotta tap into friends and family and people who aren't reptile people and let them know that hey, this is our passion. That's stuff we do. What if they were coming after your hobby, your business, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. if we can pull together some people that maybe aren't reptile people, I think we could be a lot stronger. So I know Steve. Uh, Steve goes crazy when he sends letters out, right? Steve, you get everybody. Doing <laughs> yeah, it. yeah. I just <laughs> I like the pr- I like to print out the letters for everyone and uh, just have people sign them, and I'll mail them for them. So. <laughs> I'll, send awesome, a, I'll pay I'll pay for the postage, no problem. You don't have to write no. anything, just read it and sign it. <laughs> and that's a great way to do it. So, uh, yep. that's, I mean, that's a good thing for any, anyone who could do really easily. So, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, takes me two minutes to print out 50 copies, you know, and, and then just, just, have them with you wherever you go and hey can you sign this you know and then you know tell them what you're doing and explain it you know we have i don't know how many millions of households (laughs) we have millions of households that have reptiles in them and you know this last constrictor rule that came up where people had a comment i mean at one point there was only what 300 people that were visibly uh, yeah. Steve, was that? Oh yeah, I I think it ended at just over a thousand for this last comment period. Oh, that's like depressing. That's, yeah, it is very depressing. You know, and U.S. Art laid it out for you. I mean, all you had to do is copy and paste. I mean, that's really all you have to do. It's simple. They laid it right out for you. They gave you the link. They gave you what to write. I mean, you can't get any easier than that. It's you amazing know. the amount of response we got. <laughs> I agree. I was able to to motivate 35 or 37 people to comment, and uh, I, I basically did a raffle in my group for for a free gecko and stuff. And you know, I was able to raise some awareness. It wasn't the response I had hoped for, but yeah. it was something, and it's appreciated. You know, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know. I, I support what Jordan Russell's doing. He was on the on the show a couple uh, about a month ago, and uh, sure. you know, he just I uh, saw his announcement for the new RAACA raffle that he's going to be taking a break from doing the the promoting. I mean the, uh, the fundraising in the future. And I think he's I don't know I'm not going to speak for him, but if I were him, and all that he's putting into that, I would feel unappreciated. And I would feel kind of like, well, why am I doing this? If nobody's, you know, if, if we're getting such a low amount of people that are taking it seriously, I don't know. But I'm not going to say that's how he's feeling. That's just how I would feel. And I, sure. I, I'll be honest with you. You know, I'm a little, I guess I'm, you know, I, I, I some days I'm really positive about the future. And other days I'm like, well, what the hell are you thinking yesterday when you were positive? You know? <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, I hope we don't lose this, but sometimes I think we really are gonna. I don't know. What do you guys think? I I have to agree with you. <laughs> the days are up and down. There's days yeah. where I'm real positive, you know, and I think we can pull together and pull this off. And then there's days where I see some of the petty arguing and quarreling going among people and finger pointing. Well, that you shouldn't have those snakes, or you shouldn't have this, and. Uh, and those are the days where I kind of get that heavy feeling in my stomach, like maybe all of us are going to lose our hobby one day. So, uh, yeah. 
Right. So the energy is being misdirected. I think the energy is, you know, a lot of people are, you know, out there on social media trying to change opinions and argue their argue their opinions and stuff. But all that energy is being wasted because a day or two later that thread is gone. And, you know, it's all forgotten, and the next week the same argument comes up again. So well, I think we're wasting our energy. Um, all that energy should be directed at raising awareness and, of course, getting new people involved. And um, I'm honestly just going to be taking a big break from Facebook stuff because it's just, I don't know, I think it's a waste of time in a lot of aspects. But, um, you know, folks, I want to I hear your opinions also. I'd like you guys to call in if you like. The number is 646-478-5331. Again, it's 646-478-5331. Now, Brian, a guy in Washington State, what's it like being a, a, a breeder in Washington? Oh, <laughs> good question. Um, we got uh, we got our pros and cons. That's for sure. We've got mm-hmm. very mild weather, which uh, is nice, but it can be bad too. We have a little more uh, of a tough time triggering uh, breeding in some of our animals because we don't get a lot of those high pressure storms. I mean, uh, I know it's, people say it rains a lot here, but we have a very very average basically weather all year round, so it presents a little bit of difficulty. Um, in terms of the community, it's really, really good, but it's not very big. So uh, I, I have friends that are local, but local to me might be an hour away. It could be a couple hours away. So uh, we don't have the scene that uh, other parts of the U.S. do. So on the East Coast and even down South, uh, I know things are just huge. Like my friends all have friends within a few blocks of them that do snakes and reptiles, and uh, my closest friends are, I mean, at least half an hour away. So. It's a, a little different up here. Our shows are kind of smaller, but uh, it's good people, though. So I can't I can't stress that enough. Just maybe not as as big as some parts of the U.S. Hmm. Yeah. Do you ever get to travel a lot at all, or? Um. Yeah. I uh, am into it enough that I attend all the regional shows. So I do all the stuff in Washington. Um. I go down to the Oregon shows and. Uh, this last year, we went down and uh, uh, visited at NARBC Anaheim, which was an experience because it's got to be, I don't know, 20 times bigger than the biggest show up here. So uh, I've started traveling for reptiles, and I really enjoy it. So Nice, nice. Okay, we have a caller on the line. Let's go ahead and take this call. Caller from the 207 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, guys. How you doing? Um, so I just want, uh, this is Tim from Massachusetts. Hey, Tim, how are you? Oh, pretty good. How about you? Good, good. What's up? Oh, you know, I just wanted to, you know, call in from Mass and say hi to Brian um, and just uh, pick his brain a little bit about um, one of the new project he, projects he has um, with his ball pythons. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so I guess... Um, yeah, Brian. Uh, what about uh, the Redhead Project? You know, can you tell me a little bit about the uh, the origin of that, and uh, maybe what you're going to be doing with it? Yeah, thanks for calling first, Tim. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Uh, Tim's a good guy too. Also does ball python, so we we don't we definitely know each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, um, my, he's my tech support. <laughs> <laughs> cool. 
I like helping people. It's fun. And uh, what he's talking about is uh, a new gene that was actually just discovered by a close friend of mine. Um, my friend Nick Valdez down in Florida, uh, long story short, purchased a supposed phantom granite from the Sloan brothers. And uh, this year he did uh, quite a bit of breeding with that snake. Uh, there was a little bit of a question at the beginning whether whether that's what it was or not, but none of us had seen a granite phantom, so we kind of just assumed that it was. And, uh, well, Nick got some really curious results and proved that it was not a granite phantom, and it was, in fact, uh, a brand-new gene that no one knows about at this point. So uh, pretty cool. It, he got some really cool snakes from it. Um, it tends to totally wash out the head. Like it looks like a brown head, and let's say you took a paintbrush with water and you kind of ran it over the head and wiped all the color off. So it kind of gives it this blondish red look, and uh, it did it to more than one morphs that he crossed it with. And uh, it threw on real heavy dorsal striping and uh, some really crazy stuff going on in the side aliens. And uh, pretty much just kind of took us all for a surprise. I, I've been with Nick from the beginning with this because he called me and goes, what exactly do I have here? And uh, we started working on it. And uh, I purchased into the project myself. So I've got uh, four animals um, with a partner of mine that's local. We have a hypo version of the redhead gene, which Nick called the red freeze. I've got uh, a Mojave version. So a redhead Mojave. We've got a redhead spot nose and a redhead orange belly. Uh, that group has got some real strong potential in it. So uh, a lot of big-name breeders, um, I won't mention because I don't know whether they want it to be public knowledge or not, but have purchased into this project. And uh, it sounds like we're all in a rush to prove a super. Once we hit that super, uh, depending upon how wild it is, uh, that'll kind of determine where the project goes from there. We can start to see if it has allelic combos with other morphs and ball pythons or not. So uh, that's kind of the whole story in a nutshell. Yeah. Interesting. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks them? a bunch. I'm looking at yeah, a no redhead. Uh, I'm looking at a redhead right now. It looks pretty nice. I like it. It's thanks pretty for calling cool. Did you have any uh, yeah. other questions? Uh, no, no, I think that's about it. You know, I, um, I'm going to go try to get back uh, in the living room with the wife and see if she'll let me watch some football with her. Uh, I got kicked <laughs> in the bedroom for this one. <laughs> Anyways, thanks so much, guys. Heisenberg, have a good night. So, <laughs> Thanks, too. Take it easy. Yeah, you got the whole Heisenberg thing going on. You got the red the red hair everything, Brian. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got better Perfect. facial hair, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, how long has it been taking you to grow that beard? Uh, I think we're on about uh, maybe a year and a half now with that goatee. <laughs> Every football season I quit shaving, so my girlfriend hates it, but uh, I love it. And I uh, decided to keep the goatee, so. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I got a really nice uh, black pastel and a couple of uh, head albinos from me, a black pastel head albinos. I always wanted to make a high-contrast albino ball python, and uh you know, that's that's kinda of my thing too. I don't have too many ball pythons here. I got a pair of flyers. But uh you know, they're cool. I mean I'm I'm mostly a gecko guy. Um but what what kind of signature ball python projects are you working on right now? Besides um, uh, that that is a good question too. I uh 
I have to say, uh, my big stuff right now involves Ultramel. Um, mm. Ultramel is uh, kind of new, kind of old. It's been around, but a lot of people thought it was just a non-compatible version of Carmel, which it's not. It's an entirely different gene. So it's kind of started to catch on again here lately. Um, I'm a recessive nut, so if it's a recessive, I probably have snakes in my rack. So I'm working on uh, Ultramel and Hypo combinations. So uh, mm-hmm. that would be called Ultra Glow, and uh, that's pretty big stuff for me. But uh, and then even going Ultramel and Pied, uh, we were working on that uh-huh. right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that snake before, the oh, Ultra Pie? man. Yeah, that is amazing. I mean, it yeah. doesn't even look real. <laughs> yeah, the orange looks fake. It's so, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I'm working on that project with a good friend of mine, Alan Cole. He sent me an adult pied female. We're breeding to my Ultra Male right now to make some double heads. Uh, nice. Oh, man. Ultra Male, that is... That has got to be one of my favorites, man. And then, and then combining that with hypo stuff, so. Ah, nice. Well, your awesome. your uh, black pastels are really cool too. Definitely got some yeah. high contrast in those. Oh man, that's a it's a gene I was lucky enough to get from a good buddy of mine. Uh, they came in off of uh, E and G at Outback Reptiles' uh, second line of black pastels. So that's actually what you have from me also. And they are awesome snakes because they got that contrast, but they're really busy and dirty and they're aliens, which is cool because when you throw that into, like, albino and other stuff, it really gives it a cool pattern and it just gives you some crazy contrast. So, yeah, yeah. you got some cool stuff. Wow, I'm looking at the redhead spot nose right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post it in the, in the chat room for you guys to see. That, that is cool. That definitely is different looking. Yeah, yeah. let me just get it. There you go, guys. You guys can go link to it now. Wow! So that 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 dorsal stripe is like a complete stripe. That's from the actual redhead producing that. That's correct. Wow. That redhead wow. is definitely doing that. That is cool. And maybe, well, I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. The head's red. It's got that reddish on. Yeah. yeah. I like how this how the stripe starts in the head. That's awesome. Yeah, the yeah, spot nose is a that. great example. And you know what? I'm looking closely at the one in the grass here. You can actually, the striping is faded, but it kind of looks like it covers the entire head. If that if that reddish head part wasn't there, I bet you that stripe would be continuous all the way to the nose. Yep. It is uh, wow. it's strange. <laughs> wow, good. Congratulations on that. That is really yeah. cool. Appreciate it, guys. It uh, should be fun. Like I said, if the super is wild, it'll open up so many doors for that project. So uh, we're, we're really looking forward to getting that stuff going. I know that it's pretty much a race. There's a, like I said, there's a few big names that purchased uh, pairs from him also. So uh, I have a good feeling within the next year and a half we're going to see supers, and uh, they, they could be pretty cool. So. All right, we have another call uh-huh. on the line. Let's go ahead and take this call from the 713 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi, my name is Kristen. This is the first time I've ever called in. <laughs> hey, Kristen, um, how are you? I'm good. How are you all? I don't really know who's who since this is, yeah, the first time <laughs> I've called in. But, um, but I know that uh, Brian is um, on tonight, and uh, I follow him on Facebook, and he's really cool, and so I figured I had to call in and ask him a question. Um, 
Awesome. But uh, I have two questions, actually. My first question is, um, so with the crazy market going on right now, like how cert- certain popular morphs be really high dollar, and then within the year they fall very fast, in your opinion, what is a good gene to get into um, with, you know, with everything going on right now? Cool. That's a good hey, question. How's it going? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a great question. So uh, the the best answer, I think, for that is that, in my opinion, recessives are really the way to go. So uh-huh. I know a lot of newer people are a little scared, uh, and, and that's understandable. They don't understand maybe how the HET works, or they might be buying from a questionable person. Um, and, and if you don't do things right, it, it's very easy to not make HETs or uh, – or accidentally breed something else to that and kind of mess up your odds. So uh, yeah. I, I think recessives are big. So I would say some of your most solid investments that way, that way or at least are going to be like clown genes. Um, they've come down a lot, but they're still mm-hmm. super popular and there's a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Ultramel that I did touch on already is uh, mm-hmm. taking off in popularity. So I think that's a good one. And then uh, combining things. So that, that's kind of your next step, you know, is to go into double recessives. There's almost nothing done in that realm. I mean, we have a few, you know, snows and, and yeah. crosses like that, but there's so much not done yet. And uh, those projects can't be instantaneous because of how long ball pythons take to, to grow and have clutches. So uh, oh, you would think I think that would be your um, best bet. Okay, so anything like recessive. But you think it w- do you think it would be worth it to do like a recessive to a recessive? Because that may Almost take definitely. forever. Yep. <laughs> but I guess that's why it holds value, right? You got it. You okay. got it. Okay. All right. And then my second and last question um, is, uh, what is one tip that you have for any of us um, that uh, kind of contributes to your success? Sure. And another really good question. Um, I think one of the biggest things let's and let's I'm going to aim at this from a business angle more so than a uh, uh, keeping angle I would say is to put yourself out there Um, I think organic growth is one of the biggest things that people don't do so they don't network they don't make friends they don't talk and discuss things with people Um, that is the key to your success so if you do those things you shouldn't have to struggle to advertise snakes and sell them for pennies on the dollar because mm-hmm. you'll have friends and customers that know of you, and they know what you do, and they know the quality that you do. And once you get those things down and you spread that message and let people know, uh, you don't have to give away animals. So uh, it makes me cringe when people have no name, have never posted anything, and they put these lists of really high-dollar animals, and they wonder why they can't sell them. And it's because no one's ever heard of you. It's, oh, uh, okay. it, you could spend money you know, on, with someone you know, as opposed to someone who's random, more than likely people would choose somebody they know. So. Oh. All right. Well, that's really all the questions I have. Thank you so much. Awesome, Chris. Thank you for calling, calling in. All right. Thanks. All right. Well, you know, she brings up a good point. And, uh, you know, in the gecko world, we see a lot of new breeders coming in. And um, part of, you know, making your operation in a business, into a business is, and, you know, anybody breeding reptiles sooner or later has to kind of become a business in order to sell your offspring. So I think part of that is creating your own customer base, advertising, 
your animals and creating a brand for yourself. And a lot of people just don't do that. And we've seen a lot of, um, you know, people trying to sell their animals to the same pool of, of uh, enthusiasts. And, you know, that's that's the problem. And there are people having issues. But, you know, if you're, you know, you make a good point, Brian. If you're out there networking and, you know, doing your 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 branding, creating a name for yourself, and a reputation, good reputation. Uh, you know, if everybody did that, there would be no uh, there would be no need to lower prices, right? There would be definitely uh, more of a reason for us to, to stick to our guns on stuff. I agree. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what do you think about uh, auctions? How do you feel about reptile auctions? <laughs> I knew that might come up. Um, <laughs> I I am a believer in the free market. So uh, first of all, I, I realize people are going to run business how they need to run business. My biggest issue with auctions is not the auctions themselves because most of the people running them are selling healthy animals. They're selling them to people that want them. But it's the unrealistic pricing that comes from that. So just because maybe two sold at an auction for maybe uh, you know two-thirds of what I sell mine for, well, mine's not on an auction, so when I have someone come and tell me, hey, this auction was this much money, then I usually would go, well, you probably should have been on it if you wanted to get it at that price. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not afraid to, to stick up for my animals, you know, and the work I've put into them. But, uh, yeah, I think it just sets kind of an unrealistic goal in people's minds. So that, that's my biggest issue with it. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you on that. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I... I... I feel the same way that I've had people just see whatever on Craigslist and say, oh, I can get it off. I'm like, well, if, if it's the same quality, then you should have. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to yeah. drop my price just because you saw it someplace else. Sure. Yeah. yeah it's the same, same That's a great thing. point. Yeah. You got to mm-hmm. love it when someone goes, well, but I, I like yours better. It's nicer. And I'm like, well, that's why mine's a little bit more yeah. expensive. <laughs> yep. Yeah, duh, yep. yeah, duh, really. <laughs> wow. Jeez. All right, well, you know what? Let's uh, let's take our break, and when we get back, we'll take – I see we have a few more callers on the line. We'll take your calls, and we'll touch on some more topics with Brian. Hang tight, folks. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. Visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at Expos in the Northeast. He is also the owner of GeckoForums.net. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need, from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species. 
including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit SupremeGecko.com for his available animals and supplies. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types. From white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. All right, folks, we are back, and I just want to remind everybody that uh, a few of our sponsors have standing uh, discounts for Gecko Nation Radio uh, listeners. Uh, number one, uh, Gecko Boa Reptiles mentioned Gecko Nation Radio with John Scarborough. And also, GiantLeopardGecko.com uh, is giving 25% off until the end of September. Uh, the code is GNR2014. And last but not least, EVDragons.com giving 5% off any order. It's a standard discount, and the code for that is GECKO, all in caps. So take advantage, folks, and enjoy. All right, I'm going to go go ahead and bring back Steve and Brian. And uh, why don't we start off the hour with, a, with a, a new caller, guys. What do you say? Sounds good. All right. Caller from the 503 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. That would be me, Jerry Robertson. How you doing, Brian? Hey, what's going on, Jerry? Glad you called. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, Jerry. Um, you have a project I'm interested in, and since you're one of the few people I do like to buy from, I'm just curious, what are your uh, thoughts on the t- long-term uh, viability of the toffee project? I hardly see any toffee combos. It just seems like they're just not being worked with enough. Sure. I, uh, I, that's a good, a really, really good question. Um, for you guys that maybe don't know, uh, toffee and candy, they, they aren't necessarily identical genes, but they, they work the same way. It's an allelic combo with albino. So you can breed a toffee or a candy to an albino and get a visual animal. They call them either a toffino or a candino. And uh, these snakes are really cool because they have characteristics of both the genes you breed into them. They act just like a homozygous uh, a recessive animal is. So you could breed that to, let's say, a toffino and a toffino. You're going to actually make pure toffees. You're going to make toffinos. And you're going to make albinos. So... The key, the part we need to key in about that is that works with albino. So everybody knows albino was the first morph in ball pythons. It's been around forever. There are tons of combos. They, it has been worked into all sorts of genes. Now, what's cool about toffee and candy, that makes every single one of those albino projects that much more relevant because now we can mix in toffee and candy to make different looking animals and then eventually even make pure toffee and pure candy animals in the same project. So 
all those albino projects that people have been working on for years just got breathed new life. They all now are relevant with a new high-dollar gene that, uh, that we can work with. Absolutely. Nope. I just I, I haven't seen any toffee combos out there. Who who's working with pure toffees? Just don't see it. There are a few people. Um I know uh Brent at MLR has got quite a few toffee things he's working with. Um I, I know of a few friends that have some. Um I know the candy stuff's big too. Uh and I'm I'm kind of interchanging the two of them. They they might be slightly different, but they do function the same way. Right. Um, I think we have a lot of uncharted territory with those genes. So the cool thing about that is breeders like us that are maybe just getting into the toff- toffee or candy stuff, there's so much that hasn't been done yet that uh, we've kind of got this unlimited landscape we can start painting with them. So uh, I think they're exciting, and I think if people understood how they worked, it would be a lot more popular, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Appreciate that answer. No problem. Absolutely. Anything else, Jerry? Appreciate the call. What's that? Anything else for uh, Brian tonight, Jerry? Um, no, no. That was that was my main thought on uh, asking Brian because I know he's working with that, and I definitely want to get into the toffee project, but. Uh, I don't I don't buy from too many people and Brian's one of those that I will buy from. So All right, that's cool. I appreciate yeah. it, Jerry. All right, take care. Take All care, right, Jerry. Peter. Thanks for calling. All right. All right, Steve, why don't you jump in? So what what uh what combos are you uh putting with the toffee? Cuz the, the toffee okay. alone uh, is amazing. But it is uh, that and candy are both pretty much fantastic genes. So yeah. for anyone who hasn't seen them, they, instead of like a normal albino where they're white, they literally get this like a caramely taffy color mixed, mixed in with that white, and the yellow is still pretty much the same as albino. So it, uh, it's visually a lot more striking. So yeah. um, I myself am uh, working on the project with a, a good friend of mine, um, Andrew Hall, he purchased uh, the world's first uh, toffino spider. So that's a toffee albino spider nice. combination. Um, we have He has him at my house for um, breeding purposes. And uh, I've got three visual albino females that he's going to pair with this year. Um, where that will go from there is I've got um, albino inchies in the works. I've got black pastel albinos in the works, black pewter albinos. Wow. In spider albinos. So uh, that stuff will then all be worked back into the Tofino stuff. And, of course, by breeding Tofino to Tofino, eventually we're actually, we'll even end up with pure toffee stuff out of it. So. Wow. That's awesome. It's a cool project. What do you think about the uh, bananas? You want to touch that one first, Steve? <laughs> um. I don't know. I'm kind of up in the air on the bananas because a lot of stuff that it gets mixed into seems to just disappear, doesn't it? You know, a lot. You know, I don't have any bananas, so I'm sure it's totally different looking at them firsthand. And but a lot of stuff, I, combos, I see with with 
the bananas are kind of, I don't know, some stuff looks good, but other ones kind of look like it just almost disappears, doesn't it? I uh, I can definitely see exactly what you're saying there. So I think the best al- the best banana is a banana by itself and fresh out of the egg. So uh, I don't think they ever get yeah. any better than that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. If you've had a chance to see adult bananas or coral glows, uh, I have. They don't look like they do when they hatched. So some people are okay with that. I like my snakes to look as good when they hatch as they do when they're adults. And uh, it's yeah. not something I can say for that gene. So I don't actually own it. Uh, I don't plan right. on owning it. So I just can't get yeah. past those black spots, man. I don't get that. Oh, me either. <laughs> 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 I'm totally OCD, so that drives me batty. <laughs> right. Yes, that's exactly what it is. To me, it's like uh, it's like somebody took, I don't know, my, my newly waxed car and threw all kind of mud on it. I don't know. Yeah, right. or I've got a really bad case of mites. <laughs> and, <laughs> right, right. The champagne, the champagne, that one washes, uh, seems to wash everything out, too. I don't know if you've worked with Yeah, I don't know if you've worked with champagnes at all. Yeah, I do, but I like to put stuff with pattern into it. So, like, the Enchi champagnes are really wicked. Yeah. Special champagnes. uh, The granite champagne was pretty amazing. So if you can keep some pattern in it, there's there's some potential there. But I agree. You mix it with a lot of stuff, and it makes a... Kind of a old banana looking snake, kind of got weird, <laughs> creamy yeah. brown. Yeah. Yeah. So what, although what hypo about, helps a lot too. So. Um, have you had a chance to look at the Hollywood yet? You know what's funny is, but while I was waiting to come onto the show, I heard you guys discussing that, and I could not find it. And I asked a few of my close buddies real quick. I sent frantic text messages because I knew this might come up. None of them had heard of it either. So uh, you got one on me there. Actually, it just premiered yesterday, wasn't it, Dave? Uh, yes, I saw the first picture of it yesterday, I believe. Yep. Let's, okay. Uh, yeah, it I'll looks... try to find it and post a link in the group, in the chat. Hang tight, folks. Cool. Go ahead, take over. Yeah, it, 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 it seems pretty cool. I mean, it's recessive, but it to me, it, it's, you know, it's kind of like a ghost. It's kind of... I don't know. It's kind of like a fire, sort of, but it's a uh, recessive, and uh, I don't know. I think it has potential. I like. I cool. can't wait to see it go into something else. That's where you're really going to see it is, you know, combining it with something. But uh, being that it's recessive, yeah. it, 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 you know, that. And you know what? We don't have very many recessives, so. Well, yeah, and I think back to what I said earlier, because now I'm seeing a much uh, better picture of the founder male with a normal... That that does look like a fire, exactly. Yeah, it, yeah. You can see it, and it looks like the babies um, almost don't show it as much, but I, I bet you it's one of those genes that increases, you know, with, with age, it gets lighter. So, yeah, it's obvious. Yeah. It is. No, it's cool. No, I... Yeah, I'm not going to say it looks all the same like in, you know, like what I said earlier. I changed uh <laughs> changing my opinion on it. <laughs> There's cool. nothing wrong with that. All right, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. No, yeah, I'm going to send the link uh in the in the chat for you guys. Here it comes. Cool, I'd appreciate it. I'd like to see it. Yeah, yeah I, I have two fires here. Pretty cool. Yeah, Dave's Dave's got a real nice looking fire. 
the male. Oh yeah. That male is just unreal. I uh Brian, I had a I had bought a fire from Mike Wilbank from uh a male, a nice male, and then um I was up one night at like two in the morning and he had posted a bunch of new male fires for sale. And uh I saw this one and I, and I didn't even need another male. And I went and bought it anyway because it was that that it was that cool. Uh it's just got a wicked you know, you know how Wilbank's fires just look different. They got that jungle pattern to them, and you know they just—they're just much cooler than others, in my opinion. But, uh, but yeah, I was really happy. I, in fact, I had two fires at the time, <laughs> and two fire males, and I didn't even. But I bought it anyway because it was just so cool. What do you think? Steve? <laughs> Is that the coolest fire you've ever seen? Yeah, I think so. It's just got a crazy pattern to it. I mean, it just—it's nice, real nice. I told you, I, you know, first first hatchlings you get off there, I got to get a male. <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm hoping that I'm hoping to get my female up to size uh, for, the, for the next season. So. Cool. You know, definitely. Yeah. Um, that Hollywood's you know, Brian, pretty neat. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? What do you think? Yeah, I found your link. Uh, it 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 definitely reminds me almost of uh, Desert Ghost, uh, which are yeah. you guys familiar yeah. with that gene? Uh, a yep. little bit. Okay. Yeah. So you know it. You know the normal desert and ball pythons obviously ended up turning out to be a problem with the females, but it's a beautiful gene. But yeah, desert goat awesome doesn't. So it's uh, it's right. a recessive version, and it does that same kind of cleaning up and brightening. So we've got a real viable solution there to keep that desert look without the health problems. So, uh, but the Hollywood yeah. looks a lot like a desert ghost. Yeah. Yep. Uh, more pattern, definitely. Yeah, he talked about it on the air uh, last week and uh, a little bit, and how he was given it, given it um, as a gift uh, by one of his friends in Japan, and uh, wow. a few years back, right? And the guy said, you know, here's a strange ball python for you. You know, work with it, see what happens, and sure enough, leave it to Ron. You figure it out. <laughs> and a few years later, there it is. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'd be curious to see if he has any plans on maybe getting a, a het desert ghost female to try to breed to it to see if there might be some compatibility there. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm, you never know. It'd open up a lot that's of doors awesome. for him because then he'd have a, a market of established codom hets he could then work his Hollywood into. So it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. How many marks are there now in Fall Python? Oh my god! <laughs> I can only no, laugh because I can't keep yeah. count. It's yeah. Well, not 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 the combos, like, but how many like actual genetics are there to work with? Thousands and thousands. No joke. Really? It's uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you hear the story like with the redhead gene uh, that was accidentally discovered, and we hear stories of that all the time. So uh, it's. It's crazy, the genetic uh, diversity we have as ball pythons. I think we're very spoiled. We've got a lot of paint that we get to use on our our, uh, our masterpieces because of it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's going yeah, on I, I, with those two that you got from me? Um, they should be breeding this year. Um, one of them, Brian, looks like a leopard, sort of. It's got a really dark pattern, and then it's there's no real pattern to it you know it's just totally all broke up 
And then the other one is kind of like like a Woma, sort of like that kind of. It's kind of thinned out, you know, not quite as much as a spider, you know, sure. and it doesn't have the head pattern like a spider or anything, but it is thinned right out, and then it's got like really bright highlights all over, all over the pattern. Huh. That yeah, pretty promising. So, yeah, hopefully, but. Um, what are your plans sh- with them? Uh, both should be ready this year, and I'm hoping I want to try and get applied a to to the uh, one that I think is a leopard. I just want to see what okay. happens, you know, hooking sure. up a pie to it. Worst case, I got hat pies. <laughs> I'm good to go. But uh, sure. the other one, I'm not sure yet. I'm, I was thinking uh, thinking a lesser or something to that and see what the pattern does to the one that looks like a Woma. Sure. That'd be a good but, way to do it, too. You'd be able to see that banding if it goes through on your lessers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. these are uh, these aren't just like weird looking normal. These are there's something that really looks like there's something going on with them, you know. So yeah, sure. So they're they're they've moved beyond dinker status. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> you guys hate the word. Some of you guys hate the the word dinker. Some of the bull python breeders hate that, right? <laughs> uh, it it gets a little overused. So sometimes we have new people that get into the hobby and they're a little in, enthusiastic about it. So, you know, they'll have, like, five rescued uh, ball pythons off Craigslist, and every one's a dinker, you know, because, like, if you squint your eye and you look at it upside down, there's, like, a smudge on one of the sides of it, you know? Or... <laughs> right. So that's, I think that's mostly what we get tired of. There are real dinkers. I, I acknowledge that, and that's how new genes are found. But uh, some people get a little carried away. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on uh, – I've got a blonde pastel that is just – I don't know, it's different, totally different. I've seen a lot of other blonde pastels, and it looks nothing like them. I mean, color-wise, it's similar, but the patterns, like, broke up. And and then I hatched out a lesser from that blonde pastel last year, and it kind of has, like, a granity look through it. I kept them because I don't don't know what was going on. And uh, so I'm looking to see what else I get off of that this year. Um, actually, I cut those eggs this morning. Um, blonde pastel bred to a lesser platinum. But, uh, yeah, it looked like a granity thing, so I got that going on, too. Cool. Yeah. I like granite. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, a bonus that I didn't know about or something. <laughs> sure. And that happens a lot, too. So, I mean, we, well, we all have genes in our collection. And once in a while, you get this strange anomaly that just pops up out of a certain pairing. And then uh, sometimes it's fun to repeat the pairing to see if it really is an anomaly or is it something you can reproduce. Yeah. So that part of dinking is fun. Uh, overreaching a little bit does get a little tiresome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, Brian, what do you think? Uh, so what's, what, what's, like, the big news in the, in the ball python game and market uh, today? Um, I would say uh, the big thing you hear a lot of rumblings about, uh, positive and negative, is uh, the scaleless ball pythons. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you followed things much, but uh, the hets kind of have some missing scales on the head. That information was kind of leaked out, and so now a lot of people have their own lines of scaleless that they're working with. So I think that's going to kind of be the next big rage. So. Uh. <laughs> 
Well, I've seen ball pythons that are missing scales on the head. That doesn't necessarily mean they're hyperscalous. I guess that's that's true. What's happening? Yep. People are <laughs> yeah. Pe- people are trying to market them as head scaleless and and scamming people. Is that is that what's happening? Uh no, I don't think so. Uh, in that case, I, I think some of the bigger breeders that are well established, they found out the true markers. So it isn't just the scaleless on the head; it's the micro scales too. So the scales tend to be very, very, very small compared to like what you normally would see on a ball python, and that is a big part of the het marker. So some of the bigger names now have imported animals that, make, that feature those markers, and I've seen pictures, and the majority of them look like they are het scaleless. So I think you're going to see a wow. bunch of different lines of het scaleless, and uh, that will kind of be what people start to work into morphs, uh, whether that's good or bad, I guess, is yet to be seen. But mm-hmm. How do you uh, feel about it? Um, Steve, you want to hit this one first? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of up in the air on that one too. I, you know, I, it looks cool and everything, but I don't know. Have we seen one thrive yet? That that was that's it, right? I know there was a line a little while back. Someone else, I can't remember who, had a scaleless, and then it had passed and. But have we we haven't really seen one thrive yet to know if there's any problems with it or you know I don't know they look cool but I don't know if I would want one or or breed more <laughs> sure and I think those are all valid points you brought up that we don't have answers to we don't have breeding adults we don't have even anything close to that as far as I'm aware of. Um, yeah. And I'm sure there's people with stuff in their racks we don't know about. That's kind of how high-end ball pythons tend to go. But uh, <laughs> I know people who have seen the animals, and I know the pictures, they're really, really beautiful. Um, I, I would yeah. be the same as you, though. I, I don't know if they need special care or if, or right. if we're going to see some issue later on down the line. Um, that's, that's all yet to be determined. Um, yeah. yeah. And I don't know whether this is true or not. Uh, maybe someone, you might even know, Steve. I heard they don't have belly scales either, so they can only move with kind of the swim shape serpent uh, movement rather than... Oh, oh I, I knew they didn't have belly scales, but I didn't really think about it. You know, I thought still there would be a muscle movement, but maybe sure. not. Yeah, well, know, I, I didn't know about motion, that. Yeah, we got to press with those scales to move on snakes. Yeah. So without yep. them being there, I think that locomotion might be gone. Wow. So that's another thing I'd probably question a little bit too. But uh, again, I'm not an expert. I don't own any, so so this is just stuff I've heard. I can't I can't verify it. So yeah. Do ball pythons actually move? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you sir are I'm funny. That's kidding. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, guys. Well, hold on. I think we have a caller here. Let's see. Let's go ahead and uh, grab this call. Caller from the 508 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. 508, you there? No? Okay, maybe just listening. Oh, just listen? Okay, great. So, sorry about that. All right. Um, hey, Brian, I do have a couple more questions for you. What do you think about um, Facebook and how Facebook, uh, you know, either helps or not helps the ball python world? I definitely know how it affects the gecko community. But uh, what do you guys sure. think with, with Facebook? Um, my big thing with it, uh, that I think, uh, I guess I'll approach this two ways. I'm going to give you the positives, I think, then I'm going to give you some mm-hmm. negatives, uh, positives, networking, 
um, I can't count how many people I've met because of Facebook that are now really close friends of mine. Uh, that part of it, it's really hard to do. We don't, we don't forums kind of act that way, but you don't get that instant interaction. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's a little tougher to develop a relationship, you know, a, a, a real good friendship with somebody that way. Um, same token, helping people. A forum's great, but if you post late at night, it might be a day before you get a response. Well, sometimes an animal needs help before that. So there's times where Facebook's allowed me or someone else to help somebody instantly. And uh, in terms of that for animals, it's it's a big deal, and it's a good thing. Now, um, negative aspects, well, like anything, we get a lot of people, and I call them the instant gratification generation, um, people who are raised – with the internet, they were raised with buying anything, whatever they want, DVRs, um, on demand. So you get like that five second attention span because they can do whatever they want whenever they do. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that's bad with animals because we see a revolving door in our hobby and the animals suffer because of it. So these people get a, a fleeting interest, either think they can, you know, get, get rich quick overnight, which we all know with reptiles doesn't happen. Or they think that, you know, they, they can be successful. Well, then they get bored, and we have collection sales and sick animals and everything else. So those are the two things I kind of see with Facebook. I don't know what you think about that, Steve. Um, yeah, aside from the, the fact that it sucks you in <laughs> when you're busy, <laughs> you know, you get you sit down just to check your messages, and then you're like, you get, you get pulled right in. But, yeah, I... I don't know. I've I've had issues with it as far as just how people treat each other. You know, that's that's the the worst part I've seen about it is just outright rude. <laughs> yeah. You know? No accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. A lot of and, 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 and as as far as the kids, I see it in my own kids. The instant gratification deal. I, I see it in my own kids, and it's horrible. <laughs> Believe me, it's it's horrible. <laughs> but <It's> my, scary. <laughs> you know, and that's that's without internet because it doesn't. You know, my kids aren't allowed to go on all the time and you know do all this stuff. They don't hardly watch TV. You know, so it, it's uh um they're kind of separated from you know the overall, but. I still see it because they're, you know, they they interact with all their friends who are that way, so they tend to follow. But I I know exactly what you're saying with the instant gratification, though. <laughs> what do you think, Dave? Uh, yeah, I agree with you guys. Um, it's I've met some cool people on Facebook. I definitely have, and I definitely it definitely benefits uh, my business. And uh, so for those aspects. You know, it's definitely cool. Um, I've definitely myself, you know, being, I think anybody that's kind of out there and prominent and really making moves also attracts their fair share of negative personalities. And, you know, if you don't handle it that r- the right way or if you don't, I think everybody's got to go through, it's a new it's a new experience. And that's when you first encounter uh, these, these personalities, it can really jar you a little bit and mess with your emotions and you got to, you got to kind of figure it out, and um, you kind of have to, in my opinion, you have to graduate to a level of sophistication and uh, maturity and realize it for what it is and 
and not get upset over these things. I mean, Facebook definitely allows some really mean and sometimes really crazy people to find you and interact with you and uh, come at you, and um, and you got to be able to handle that. And at first, when you first start experiencing that, you're not going to know how to handle that. <laughs> it's going to, you know, it's kind of like, like, oh, my God, I can't, well, what did I do to deserve this? I'm even, you know, how how could this person feel this way about me? They don't even know me, you know? And yeah. uh, so, you know, I've experienced some of that. And, it, you know, that still, it still happens. But um, I don't, you know, I don't handle it the way I used to. And for the most part now, everything on, you know, Facebook is just constantly growing for me. And now it's like, you know, my listenership for the radio show wouldn't, be there without it. Uh, the show's grown tremendously because of it, and uh, the, my business keeps growing because of it. So I need it, and uh, I enjoy it, and I've made some great friends and uh, customers and stuff through it. And then, you know, I guess, you know, for the most part, 75 to 80 percent of Facebook is positive, I think. And then there's that, you know, 25 to or maybe 20 percent of craziness that you just kind of force <laughs> to deal with, <laughs> you know. So yeah. that's my that's my opinion, guys. Yeah, I think you hit it. <laughs> I agree with everything well, you, you said. You, so. you yeah. did too, Ryan and, and Steve. You guys did too. And I, I think we're all veterans of it now. So it's like, sure. you know, we see it for what it is. I, I, you know, what I would like to see though is I, I'd like to see more of a, a la, uh, more of a more respect for from people. I think is is what's needed, and um, I think that there's. There's definitely people that out there that lack that, and I guess that's parenting. And um, I, there is no, you know, you, there's no test you got to pass before you can interact with people on Facebook, unfortunately. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, it's just uh, it's a free for all. It really is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. The wild uh, west. Right, right. And then, that, you know, it can be funny, too. I and mean, sometimes I sit back and I see some of the interaction and it's like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Um, but nobody likes it when it's it's at their door, front door either. So <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I'm still evolving with Facebook. Sometimes, like, my opinion of it is constantly changing and it's based on different experiences. And, yeah, I'm still still undecided. And some days I say, wow, why am I even wasting my time with this? And then other days I'm like, well, I, and then that, that other day I get a message from somebody, yeah, Dave, I want to buy this $300 gecko. And I'm like, all right, it's worth it. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Do you do a lot of business on Facebook, Brian? I know that's how I found you. Um, I do some on there. Uh, I'm fairly fortunate enough that, uh, kind of to touch on the point that I did earlier, through networking and friends and then just a commitment to quality and actually backing what I say, I have a fair amount of lists for most of the stuff I do, so a very small percentage of what I produce ever gets advertised. So, mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and then the rest awesome. of people it's put on there. So. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I remember seeing your post about extra animals, and I did some research into you before I actually – you know, said, hey, I want those. I, you know, I just looked at sure. some of the comments people were leaving and stuff like that. Yeah, I felt, I felt comfortable ordering those uh, those snakes. I'm really happy with them, by the way. They're really nice. Good. So, well, that's what yeah. I like to hear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll see what I can make with them eventually. They're, they're growing, so we'll, 
know. You'll make some real nice albino up. stuff, though. So. <laughs> right. I'm fortunate yeah. enough to have a few of those siblings to yours locally. And, uh, man, some of them are just gorgeous. They're uh, approaching, you know, subadult status on a few of them. And uh, the color on the albinos is still just exceptional. I don't, I don't have a special line of albino. I don't claim them to be high contrast. I just picked really nice adults and made sure they had their color before I did my pairings. And uh, so far, so good on the offspring. I can tell you I've seen a, a several in person still, and they look fantastic. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, they should be good for you. What do you think? Uh, what do you think of the future? What, what, what plans do you have for the future of your projects, Brian? Um, for me, uh, I am one of the people that uh, I'm trying to live my dream and make this a full-time deal. So for mm-hmm. me, it's about diversification. So I pick uh, some animals every year, and I decide to get into them. So uh, a couple years ago was some Western hognose. Um, last year was California Kings. I've got some really nice Kings, um, recessive stuff pretty much, which again is kind of what I always fall to. And then this year, um, I was looking at getting boas before I won that, uh, uh, RAACA raffle. So for me, it's, it's diversification. So every year I try to add something. Now I'm not in it as much as I am with ball pythons per se, but, uh, just a little something extra that I can offer. Uh, for more stability for my business. So nice, nice. So you you think you want to be like a um, like a Mike Wilbanks type, like a you know that size or bigger? Or? Uh, I don't think I'll ever be that big uh, because I think and it, this I'm not speaking for him, but at least at me, if I I were that big, to me some of the some of the fun of multiple different types of animals and stuff might be lost. So uh, I'm okay with specializing in, in high-quality animals and maybe not as much quantity as some of those guys. I don't ever see myself being one of the people that will have, you know, four, five, hundred, six hundred clutches a year. It's not a goal of mine. But mm-hmm. uh, to, to focus on the quality and then to work on stuff that people aren't, you know, so my double and triple recessives, those projects are things that can take, I mean, a decade to come to, to fruition. So, uh that to me is what right. will, will try to be my separator from other people. It won't be quantity. It will be quality, and just cool stuff that maybe other people don't work with. So, yeah, cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, Steve, do you have anything? Any other questions for Brian? Um, no, but I'm looking at the redhead Mojave you got there. Sure. That oh, thing is. Crazy. Have you seen that, Dave? That's what you oh, gotta yeah. get. You got to get that into an albino project right there. Yeah, you like that color on that thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and imagine it as an albino, that would be amazing. Get an albino project going with that and I'm going to yeah. check it out again. Wow, it's so dark. Yeah, it's almost yeah. dark yeah. and yellow. Yeah. No, I was just uh, going, she's actually going at through your too. pictures. Really? Oh, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's Het Hypo, yeah. Yeah, that female, she's a she's a Mojave redhead, Het Hypo. Uh, I actually purchased their mom, too. She's a super Mojave Hypo, uh, proven breeder for my friend, and I had to pick her up, too. So she's going to my Ultramel this year for uh, Mojave Double Het Ultramel and uh, Hypo. So pretty cool. Nice. So, yeah. so not yeah. all of them come out with per- perfect stripes, I gather, then, right? 
No, but that's very uncharacteristic for a Mojave. So uh, both the color and the striping. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool. The the orange belly, who's in that picture, all uh, the top. That's the one I'm seeing the belly shot of, and in the top, it doesn't have a lot of striping. So the orange belly didn't react the same way as the spot nose in the Mojave. But uh, it could just be uh, uh, variable, or it could just be the different genes acting differently. There were other mm-hmm. spot nose redheads in that same clutch, and they all had that same striping in that head. And uh, the Mojave brother and sister to mine were the same way, almost fully striped, super, super dark, and uh, just real busy on the sides. So uh, it's promising. Um, let me ask you this, Brian. Uh, we all these hundreds or whatever morphs there are with ball pythons. I mean, are these really seriously all coming from the wild? I find it hard to believe that all these morphs are just popping out of the wild. And like my mind says that there's some geneticist somewhere, some lab somewhere that's you know inject, injecting <laughs> eggs with some kind of serum, and you know they're popping out that way, and they're just saying that they that they're coming out of the wild. I mean, what do you think? Seriously? The craziest thing to a mad scientist we have is Noah, who is actually kind of like the godfather of ball pythons in Africa. So the majority of what we see here in the hobby comes from Noah. And uh, sometimes it's them paying attention to very subtle things that happen to interact with other things. And uh, sometimes it's a total accident. So uh, I think yours makes a better movie. (laughs) The truth of it is... (laughs) is uh, it takes a fine, a real fine-eyed and attention to detail, and sometimes you might pick something out that someone else might send to uh, Petco for 80 bucks. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I wish so there was a cool story like yours. <laughs> yeah, almost all of this stuff does, some way or the other. And sometimes it hides other things, too. So we might have a morph in our collection that we think is just this. We breed it and go, what the heck is that? It was hiding, you know, the whole time. I think Steve touched on that earlier a little bit with some of the snakes he talked about. So, it's, do you think uh, that some genes, cool. genes can? Do you think that some genes can unlock others? Uh, I think so. Uh, if you look, you don't have to look much further than like the yellow belly stuff. Well, we all know they make ivories, but now look yeah. at how they interact with gravels and asphalts and sparks and super stripes. We have this whole allele, and I kind of talked a little bit about it earlier. I didn't go into depth, but all those genes are related. They they rest on the same allele, and uh, we get these crazy interactions. We breed them together. You know, we get a white snake, but we cross this with this, and we get this really cool striped yellow snake, you know. It's the same with uh, black pastel, cinnamon, huffman, het red, exanthic. Uh, They're all in the same family. So... What that it, it goes back to your other point though is a lot of these genes are related. They're slight variations of each other, so maybe they were all the same gene at one point, but now they've diversified and they do different things. So uh, maybe that explains a little bit of why we see so much stuff. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, incredible. It really is. Um, I think the future is just it's uh, unlimited if we can keep going. That's for sure. Seems like it. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, I, there's I, infinite I, combos now. You know, you go back five years, and there's probably what forty different, you know, morphs. Really, <laughs> you know, it, it seems like it wasn't that long ago, and there wasn't, 
you you could remember every one of them and you could tell every one of them. Now it's like I go on you know on the website. And I'm like, oh my god, what is that? You know, it's, like, it's hard to keep up. It is. It's real yeah. hard to keep up. You'd think yeah. it would slow down, and it's not. So that's the crazy thing about it. <laughs> it's, and, it and that's a good thing too, really, that it, it sure. doesn't. You know, it doesn't seem to end, which is is cool. That's what I was going to say. For everybody, I was going to ask you about the uh, the um, leopards or the um, deserts. I mean, um, we were talking earlier, and do you think that that was a dead end? Like we hit a dead end as far as I mean I don't, I'm not even sure where the desert came from, you know initially, but sure. um, how you know you you basically you know females can't reproduce. Do you think that at some point it came from you know this whatever morph you know and and it came out of whatever and then it just hit a dead end to to that, you know, progression. I don't know um, if I'm explaining it the way I'm oh, thinking I it. I understand you know? exactly what you're saying. So um, the way I look at it is, so we obviously know that we, initially a lot, of, a lot of us thought that the whole sex-linked thing with banana and, and coral glows was kind of a hoax. Yeah. And the more people that have those have proved that it's not. Uh, people get males when they have a male maker. The rest of the clutch is all females. Whatever, however that makes sense, we don't understand, but it exists. So it's quite possible that Desert from the very get-go had this problem. It's, a, it's definitely a physiological problem. Uh, a good friend of mine, Alan Cole, actually performed surgery on a Desert female that was egg-bound, and their oviducts are too small to pass eggs. So oh, wow. Wow. She was going to die, and, and they did surgery on her. Well, he documented the entire surgery, and uh, it was really, really cool. And uh, he was able to share that with everybody. And a lot of people kind of poo-pooed about the whole deal, but he was the first one to actually delve into what is physically wrong with these animals. And, uh, and I think that just sums it up. So if males can reproduce, more males would be made in Africa. So they could have been reproducing this entire time. That doesn't yeah. mean that any female was ever viable. They still live. They still grow. They ate, they breed, and they might die. So uh, I think huh. sometimes evolution presents us with a dead end, and, and I, I think that's what they, they have been. So I don't think breeding them to more snakes will fix it. Uh, I don't think changing the temperatures will fix it. They, they really do have a yeah. problem. Yeah, that was, I was just going to ask you if, if, I, if you thought that breeding in another genetic line could, you know, clean it up, but you just answered that, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, there were some theories on that real early on in that project. And uh, yeah. honestly, in what now, 12, 13 years that they've been around, there's zero clutches. So uh, it's unfortunate, but it, it is the way of life when you're working with mutations in animals that, that have mutated from a normal normal animal. So Yeah. Well, you know, that's a, that's, that reminds me of a good point, too. Like, uh, these visual colors and patterns that we're seeing in these morphs, um, they're, they're incredible. And we don't always see what they're doing on the inside of the animals. We can see what they're doing on the outside, but there could yeah. also be those other components. So, right. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, with leopard geckos, we have a morph called the super snow that basically makes the gecko 
uh, black and white spots, but it also changes the appearance of the face and the snout a little bit and gives it, uh, some people call it a pig nose, but I kind of look, I kind of see it as, it kind of looks like a dragon face to me, um, which kind of is kind of cool, but uh, sometimes people have issues with these geckos a little bit. They, they're not always the best, uh, you know, breeders sometimes, and, you know, but it's not always, but I'm just saying, you know, sometimes there's issues. So, you know, this gene that drastically changes the appearance of color and pattern also has physical attributes, too. And there you go. With the desert, it changes the internal organs of the females, too, and, you know, prevents them from passing eggs. And uh, and that's unfortunate, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, in the future, things could change, and maybe there'll be ways to... Uh, correct those types of problems, and uh, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? What do you think about like science actually finding what we're doing with selective breeding and taking taking a serious interest in it and uh, delving into it and maybe offering solutions to some of these things? I mean, obviously there's not a lot of money in it, but do you think there's room for that to happen, Brian? I would like to think so, but realistically, if I ask myself who would fund it, I then run yeah. into a, a dead end and go, more, more than likely, there's not enough money to be made for science to really give a lot of thought to what we're doing, would be my guess. So, uh, mm-hmm. as much as I wish that wasn't the case. So, it'd be cool to map out genomes and figure out things a little more in depth than we do. We've got a very loose understanding of a lot of this stuff, so... Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess uh, we're we're coming towards the end of the show, and uh, I gotta say this was a great time. It was really, really nice speaking with you, Brian, and also mixing it up and you know talking about ball pythons. We don't often uh, do a, a show devoted to ball pythons. I think the last one we did was with Jonathan Fultz from Breeder Circle, and uh, and Steve. It was it was yep. great having you co-host. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you. And uh, and Brian, what do you think? Uh, you want to leave us with any uh, closing remarks for tonight for the listeners? Oh, first, uh, I just want to appreciate you for the uh, the offer. It was uh, fun. I enjoyed talking with you guys about reptiles in general, and uh, obviously cool. my passion. So that was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, or go ahead. No, it's your it's your it's your minute. <laughs> um, I was going to thank everybody for listening, even if maybe they don't do ball pythons. Uh, hopefully we talked about a little wide range of things that kept people uh, interested, maybe learned a thing or two, and, uh, and ultimately we got to all support each other in this, uh, in this hobby and, and business. So uh, that's probably the most important thing that, that, uh, that I could say we, we put here, is we all work together, we, we might find some success. So. I agree, definitely. Awesome. And Brian, you're you're welcome to come back anytime you like. We'll do a part two in the future. How does that sound? Uh, I would love to take you up on that. Yeah, let's uh, let's wait till you have some more results from the from the Redhead Project, huh? That sounds yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we can do with that gene. Awesome. Very cool. All right, Brian. Well, thank you very much for being with us, and uh, I'll uh, I'll shoot you a, a, the. Uh, uh, show link during the week, and um, also I'll shoot you a, a, a little badge that you can you can put on your your website if you like. It'll, it says uh, "Listen to my interview on Gecko Nation Radio." 
we could definitely do that. Sounds awesome. Cool. All right, Brian. Thanks right. again, man. Have a good night. All right, guys. Take care. It was a pleasure. Have a good night, All Brian. Right. Bye. All right. What do you think, Steve? How do we do tonight? Uh, I think pretty good. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I like mixing it up. Yeah. He knows a lot about uh, a lot about his trade there, huh? Oh yeah, he does. I like that redhead gene. That's that's definitely oh. interesting. I didn't. I didn't even know about it until tonight. No, actually, I didn't. Re- I, I think I briefly heard about it, but um, I'm gonna look into it some more because they look pretty nice. Yeah, the only thing I didn't ask them is how much they cost. I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always well, the, the, the question right that's there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, how much? Uh, well, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. it's worth whatever they're they're charging for it. And uh, don't give it to the big guys for nothing. Make sure you make some money off it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. All right. Well, and please, now, uh, I now, 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 I want to see. I want to see a a redhead Hollywood. That's <laughs> well, what that's I want to see now. That's going to be awesome. That's, <laughs> that's got to be how many years down the road? Like even if they started on it now, oh. how long would it take? Minimum. Well, no, because they're double recessive. You're talking minimum probably five to six years or close Jeez, to that. Right? Yeah. Right? Because you're going to have to take, you know, one of the, and that's if you get, if you you have the actual gene itself. You have a Hollywood and a redhead. Breed them together. You're going to get double heads. Then you're going to have to grow them up for, you know, average for me, it's probably close to three years. Then you're gonna breed them, get double hats, and then you got to grow them up for close to three years and breed them together and hope that you hit the odds. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's you know, yeah. and I and I think the odds would be like one in sixteen odds to get uh, a, ho- a Hollywood redhead. Yep. That's a pretty good name, too, you know. A Hollywood redhead. Right, yeah, I like that. <laughs> that's a good name. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta, that's funny. It's got to happen. <laughs> and, and, he's, and, he's, and Brian's a redhead. He's got a red beard and everything. Oh, wow, yeah, everything nice. Just, everything just <laughs> yeah. falls into play there. <laughs> that's funny. All right, yeah. well, cool. Uh, I, look, I look forward to, who do we got next week? Is it Don Hamilton, I think? Yes, yep. Don Hamilton. Cool. We're going to have to get back into leopard geckos next week. Folks, Don Hamilton of Highwood Exotics. So uh, make sure you join us. Uh, And, hey, Steve, thanks again for sticking with us tonight. I know you got to get up for work tomorrow. I won't keep you too much longer. Uh, Thanks for helping me out tonight. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, cool. We'll see you next week, bud. I'll see you there. All right, everybody. I'm going to play the outro, and I'm going to come back with my closing remarks. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. 
You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. That's right, folks. And um, I guess I just want to say that I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in tonight, all the chat room folks. That was awesome uh, for you guys to be with us. And everyone who called in, thank you very much. And uh, I guess I'll leave you all with this. Uh, Of course, the show specializes or has a special fondness, as I like to say, for geckos. But uh, we definitely like uh, reaching out to our other herpetocultural brothers and sisters in the different uh, other communities, such as the uh, ball pythons and such. And we're going to be doing other shows, of course, that uh, definitely, you know, broaden our perspective and uh, to diversify. That's always fun. So I just want to thank everybody that supports the show on a daily and weekly basis. It wouldn't be possible without that support. And, of course, to our great sponsors, uh, definitely want to take a minute and mention them. Gales Bearded Dragons, of course, is the biggest and best supplier of reptile supplies at all the expos from Delaware all the way to New Hampshire. And they're making a big push into uh, online sales as well, and they do a lot of business on Amazon. So definitely, if you're looking for caging, supplements, lighting, and heating, definitely check out Dale's Bearded Dragons. Uh, they're, they're your best bet. Make sure you mention the show, too, and you'll get a discount at any of the expos, 10% off. EVDragons.com, of course, the best supplier of Dubia Regis. Make sure you use the code GECKO at checkout. Give you 5% off. GeckoBoa.com, John Sarbo has got amazing wild types, incredible leopard gecko morphs. Definitely check out Gecko Boa. Mention Gecko Nation Radio. He's running a discount, too. Supreme Gecko is run by Wally Kern, specializing in crested day geckos and little micro geckos that are obscure species. So definitely check out SupremeGecko.com. OhioGecko.com is run by Thad Unkefer, and he also is the owner of GeckoForums.net. Make sure you check out GeckoForums.net and OhioGecko.com. OhioGecko has some great tangerines, amazing fat tails, and some really cool snows and such. Really like what Thad is working on. RainbowMealworms.net is the best supplier of your mealworms, superworms, and uh, I think they even have crickets. But definitely check out Rainbow Mealworms. has the best pricing. It's the biggest worm farm in the world. And uh, ask for Jillian Spence. She is the worm goddess, as I like to say. Just a great person to deal with. Uh, Reptiles Express. Reptiles Express is the best shipping company with the best rates and the best customer service, and the best customer service representative, Debbie Price. We love Debbie. Definitely 
uh, check out Reptiles Express if you need to ship animals. And, of course, Ron Tremper, uh, the biggest contributor to Leopard Gecko's amazing morphs, just came out with the Hollywood ball python gene, the pastel gene, pastel raptor gene for Leopard Geckos, and just a plethora of amazing lion bird traits that he's been working on for 30-plus years now. Just an amazing breeder, amazing person in our community. Definitely check out Ron Schreffer at leopardgecko.com. Check out his apps, Leopardgecko Pro, Leopardgecko Care, and a few others that he has available. All right, giantleopardgecko.com is run by Keith Kiggins. Keith is giving 25% off until the end of September to our listeners. Use the code GNR2014 at giantleopardgecko.com and you're going to save 25% off. He's got amazing giant-sized leopard geckos and patch tails and even some crested. Definitely happy to have him on board with us. Of course, if you are looking, if you're going to be feeding mealworms, uh, rainbow mealworms to your insect-eating reptiles, you're going, to make sure, you're going to want to make sure that those worms are, and insects are gut-loaded properly. So the best food to use for your gut load is, of course, MS2 Premium Chow. Make sure you use MS2 Premium Chow. You are what you eat, folks. Make sure your reptiles are eating healthy. And last but not least, in our newest sponsor, Mr. Daryl Burton, Daryl and Kate Burton of Longhorn Geckos. Check out Daryl and Cade Longhorn Geckos on Facebook, and their website will be released soon. They specialize in very high-end leopard gecko morphs like Super Tangelos, Pastel Raptors, White and Yellows, and some select wild types. So check out Longhorn Geckos. Very happy to have them with us. All right, folks, tonight we did a great show with Brian Brakes from Breaking Ball, and for the occasion, going to play a cool soundtrack that I think some of you guys will recognize. Played it in the beginning, and uh, we're going to play it at the end. So pretty cool, great show, great soundtrack. Thank you all for being with us tonight. Until next week. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.